I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Blackest eyes, the devil's eyes, purely and simply evil. You're out of your mind, Wang. God bless you. <laughs> what do we do? Hello out there and welcome back to Precinct 13, a podcast about the movies, music, and mind of John Carpenter. My name is Nick Rocco Scalia, one of your two co-hosts, joined as always by your other co-host, Chris Oliphant. How's it going, Chris? Happy almost October. Yes, it's going very well, Nick. I am glad to be here and very excited for October as I am every year. Your favorite month of the year, as you've said on the show before. <laughs> Indeed. It's an excuse for me to watch even more horror cinema than I do in the off-season. So uh, <laughs> very much looking forward to that. I, I've actually even started watching some movies early because I'm thinking to myself I may not have time to get to all the ones I'd like to. Oh, wow. So, so you're just, uh, you started the binge early and you have that many things on the docket that you had to begin in September. Yeah, like I watched Halloween 2 recently uh, from 1981, and what was the other Halloween movie I watched? I watched part four again recently, because I have to see, I'm going to try to watch the, the whole franchise before the end of October, and especially with uh, Halloween Kills coming out, and uh, I just want to really like prepare myself. Well, that sounds like a good plan. I did. I watched four last year, four and five, and I liked one of them a little bit and the other one pretty much not at all. But the good news is we are talking about a horror film on the show tonight. It's a Masters of Horror film, the second season episode Pro-Life, which is John Carpenter's second and last contribution to that series. That was the last season they did on Showtime, and then it became something called Fear Itself on NBC, which is pretty wild for the time, that being on a network. But season two of Masters of Horror kind of continues what season one did where it's some of the best horror directors in the world with basically a blank check to do whatever they want content wise so we'll get to that it's uh, definitely one that I think we really need to crack open and talk about it was a Carpenter film that I had never seen before and as you probably remember if you listen to our episode on Cigarette Burns his earlier Masters of Horror the season one episode that he did it's one of my favorite things that John Carpenter ever did it's one of the reasons I wanted to do this show was because I'm such a huge fan of cigarette burns i feel like that's a an hour-long movie made just for me and i did not necessarily feel that way about pro-life and i'm looking forward <laughs> to getting your thoughts on it you watched it a number of times i've only seen it once well i saw it twice um i watched it a couple weeks ago shortly after our last episode and then i watched it again last night just as a uh, a refresher okay so uh, we should probably do recommendations really quickly because there's another thing that came out this week in the Carpenter universe that I want to talk about a little bit on the show, and I want to make sure we have a little bit of time for that. But what have you seen recently that has, in terms of genre films, or I, I guess it's going to be horror films straight up this time because you are already in horror mode. Uh, what's the latest? I saw James Wan's Malignant movie in theaters um, since we last spoke, and um, obviously... One thing that I loved about it was I went into it knowing absolutely nothing. Um, I hadn't even seen a trailer. And 
from what I hear, I guess that doesn't really matter because the trailer, a lot of people are saying, doesn't really uh, paint the picture very accurately of what the movie is. And I have to say, um, and I know I'm a little biased because like, I love James Wan. I think it's, it's an incredible feat that, you know, he directed the first Saw movie, um, the first two Conjurings, the first two Insidious movies. I mean, he is literally responsible for birthing three successful and prolific uh, horror franchises. Sure. And then went on to do, I have not seen Furious 7 or Aquaman, but, you know, obviously <laughs> got into the uh, bigger blockbuster movies. I'm sure they're great. Um, but well, just Great is a strong word to use, but I will say I... I... Not sure if I saw. I think I saw one of his. He's done, I think, more than one Fast and Furious movie. I've definitely seen one of his and like that a lot. And Aquaman is a really, really good time. It's one of the silliest and campiest movies I've ever seen. But he kind of leans into that really hard. And I think even if you're not really into the superhero stuff, it's just so funny and goofy and over the top. It's uh, definitely worth seeing, even for somebody like you. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen all his other work, and I've always just really respected him as a filmmaker. I've watched a lot of interviews with him. Like, he's such a energetic and positive guy, and all the feedback I've ever heard from other people that work with him is that he's just a joy to work with, and, like, every day on the set is a blast. So when I heard that Malignant was coming out, and it was, you know, this was, could definitely be described as his re- return to his roots, going back to the horror uh, genre, and I don't know, man, I, I, I guess I know that's getting very mixed reviews. Um, I am definitely on the side of I loved the movie. Uh, it really was not what, not, again, not that I really had any expectations, but it was very unpredictable. It was shot beautifully. Um, the music was great and it, it's campy as hell and it just got weird. And I, I left the theater thinking to myself, wow, I think this is a movie that, like years from now, people are going to go back and realize how awesome it is. I kind of wish more directors with the kind of clout that he has would, would take. I, I think it was kind of risky for him to make a movie like this because it's so unlike, uh, you know, his Conjuring movies or Insidious movies. And I could see influences in there from like Sam Raimi and Argento. Um, and some other filmmakers just with, again, the the way it's shot and how much, how, (laughs) I don't know, just gory it is. I don't know. Like it's, um, I cannot wait to see it again. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I I definitely saw the mixed reviews and then you and I talked about it and, and you kind of gave it your highest recommendation. I guess I was expecting something else out of it. And I think a lot of the critics maybe seem to be also because, yeah, I mean, now at this point, when we think of James Wan as a horror director, we do think of The Conjuring. It's one of the most successful horror films of all time. Like you said, launched this massive franchise. And, you know, I I guess one of the things about The Conjuring that, that makes that movie what it is, that it takes itself really seriously. You know, it's a very sort of serious and sober and and certainly very scary uh, take on, you know, the old sort of haunted house story. But for him to go out and do something that's a little more over the top, like you were saying, I mean, maybe his kind of like the fans that he built up for, for something like that franchise just weren't prepared for that. And Insidious, you know, it has a sense of humor, too, particularly the original directed by James Wan. But for the most part, it mostly takes itself pretty seriously. And I enjoy 
enjoy a horror movie that kind of doesn't. And just like the you're you're naming off influences here, and every one of them is like, yeah, I, I want to see that. I may not like it, but mm. I'm interested. Like I'm definitely it's, it's on my list for uh, for October viewing for sure. Yeah, dude, it's so good. And like I wanted to comment. Um, our friend Josh Mosley, who's been on the show a couple times before, actually he was on our Christine episode and then also Cigarette Burns, uh, he had sent me a text yesterday and it just, I just got such a kick out of this. He said, we watched Malignant this morning. In six years when I'm able to process it, I want to discuss. <laughs> and uh, I just thought that was such a fitting comment because I really feel like he was onto something with this one and I, and I just like how, again, he was willing to go kind of bizarre and zany and... Sitting in the theater and watching it, Nick, like one thing I love about the Conjuring movies and Insidious movies that's so simple is just like cameras gliding through houses. Sure. Like the Like the way the camera goes down a hallway or up a staircase or you get like the aerial shot from the ceiling. Like I was just I was just in the theater watching the camera move around and I was like just in love with it. So I don't know. I definitely recommend watching uh, Malignant. Yeah, there is definitely a, a wan horror cinematography style that is just unbelievable. Yeah. There's a shot in the original Insidious that every time I even think it's just it's so beautifully composed. Like it's a scare. It scares me every time, not because it's the creepiest thing I've ever seen, but because it's just the way it's filmed is so perfect and the timing of it is so perfect. And yeah, he's a hugely, hugely talented guy. And it's cool to see him dipping his toe back into horror. Like you said, this is kind of a comeback mm. film for him. I mean, he easily could have just made billions of dollars making superhero movies and massive mega blockbusters for the rest of his life and clearly he just has this affinity for the genre where he's like yeah I'll do one for you I'll do one for me and this does kind of sound like a passion project you know if it does look like an Argento film well like you said nothing else in America really does right now so he's definitely exactly. uh, just kind of doing this for the fans and doing this for himself and you got to respect that particularly from somebody as massively successful as he is how about you Nick what have you seen recently not a whole lot. Uh, so I just um, <laughs> haven't had a lot of time for movies, but I'm very, very excited for a film that's coming out actually the end of this week called The Many Saints of Newark, which is David Chase's prequel to The Sopranos about the oh. sort of early days of Tony Soprano. So uh, played by James <laughs> Gandolfini's son, which is pretty incredible. So I decided to go back. It's been a very, very long time. So I just started binging that series again from the beginning. My wife had never seen it, and uh, and she's been hearing me talk about it for 20 years or so, if not more at this point so we are most of the way through season one and uh and all i'll say is it's just as good maybe even better than i remember it uh the performances are incredible the writing is incredible mm -hmm. and at the time um i didn't watch it until probably like 2001 like when it came out on dvd i was mm -hmm. uh coming home from college and i watched it with my parents we would rent the dvds and we'd watch like there's like three episodes to a disc and we could not not watch like all three of them at once. So we were <laughs> binge watching television before that was even a thing. But uh, yeah, one of my favorite series of all time. And, you know, the ending was was a little bit shaky in some ways, but I just mm. I love the characters. I love the world. I've always been a mob movie fan, but it's so much weirder than that. Uh, I think when you actually watch The Sopranos, if you're expecting it to be Goodfellas or something, you get that. But also there's there's this whole surreal side of it there's a lot of dream sequences and weirdness and just sort of quirky comedic things that you wouldn't get in like a scorsese movie or something like that chris have you ever seen the show the sopranos mm -hmm. i was gonna say i have a confession to make i have only seen the first season okay um and i watched i did watch the entire first season somebody actually had let me borrow 
borrow it on Blu-ray, I believe. And I loved every single minute of it. Sure. And then just for whatever reason, like never committed to watching the rest of it. So uh, that's definitely on my like to-do list as far as as uh, just viewing uh, because I am a huge fan of, and you know what's funny? You mentioned the movie coming out. I swear to God, I think they played a trailer for that before *Malignant* when I went and saw it, which is why I'm aware of it. Yeah, that was one of my favorite trailers that I've seen this year. Not because it's a an amazing trailer, but the movie looks really good, and I've just been waiting for this for a long time. Yeah, I kind of envy you because you'll get to see all those other seasons through fresh mm. eyes, and you know the last one is is kind of hit and miss. But up until that point, I mean, there's all kinds of crazy like Steve Buscemi's on the show for like a couple of seasons, and like it, it really goes to some pretty interesting places that yeah I, I forgot how little of it actually happens in season one you know they're kind of just establishing the world and everything and, and all the episodes are great but like a lot of the stuff I remember and remember really loving came later so uh, so I'm kind of excited I'm basically seeing it with fresh eyes too I don't remember anything um, so it's it's been just really fun to watch that and to share it with my wife and being Italian American you know I, I have my issues with the way certain characters are portrayed but also they kind of mm-hmm. nail some things things um, maybe a little uncomfortably well so uh, it's always been a, a thing that I've enjoyed a lot I got I love all that stuff man I, I watch Goodfellas once a year uh, I watched Casino this year for the first time in a while and it blew me away I'm a huge fan of Scarface I just recently Alex and I just purchased a gorgeous um, Godfather box set really and yeah and we haven't watched it yet and it sits on my bookshelf and it's so beautiful and like it's it's so nice looking that like even when I'm watching other movies I find myself like looking at The Godfather <laughs> on my bookshelf and I'm like oh I can't wait to get to you because we want to do it like like we're not just gonna watch the movies like we want to do like hey we're gonna cook some lasagna tonight you know what I mean and and uh, get get some uh, get some Merlot flowing and, and watch The Godfather movies because we've never seen them together. And we were talking about it, and we we're just like, man, with the amount of movies that we watch, like it's absurd that we haven't watched the Godfather movies. Yeah, I mean, um, it's uh, of course a franchise that's very, very special and near and dear to my heart, and always will be. Those Blu-rays, uh, the ones that it was like maybe four or five years ago, maybe a little bit more than that. I think it was around like maybe 2013, 2014. They just did a mm-hmm. whole new. It might have been the first Blu-ray release for it, and they remastered all three of them, and they look incredible. Uh, Gordon Willis' cinematography in the first two, particularly is you know the the darks they um they sort of went back and i don't know exactly how they did it but they kind of brought out some of the color in the image and they just really cleaned it up really really nicely and for a kid who grew up watching it on vhs uh it was really an incredible thing to see i've seen at least two of them on the big screen also but uh yeah can't say enough about that i don't know how much crossover fandom there is for john carpenter and and the the gangster movie (laughs) universe but i grew up on certainly those movies much more so than i did uh like the the john carpenter stuff that now i'm starting to to come to appreciate and on that note i just wanted to mention really quickly you and i both have just seen this and i think it's an interesting piece of john carpenter trivia or or sort of ephemeral John Carpenter universe stuff. So the guys over at Red Letter Media, who I'm a huge fan of, I love their show Best of the Worst, where they review shitty old movies that I used to see at the (laughs) video store uh, when I was a kid. Um, Sure. 
they have decided to do something that we are going to do eventually on the show, which is rank John Carpenter's movies from worst to best. So uh, it's it's a pretty small scale. I thought like maybe they'd get four or five of them to do it, but it's just Jay and and Rich, who are two of my favorite people, who uh, who are on their shows, and they have started. They just released the first of three parts where they started from the bottom and worked their way up, and it's just been interesting to see. You know, I I pointed you in the direction of it. I think you saw most of it before I did. And I wanted to watch their whole first episode. And I've always really respected them as film critics. Um, they are... They're a little cynical. Uh, I think I mentioned this to you. Like, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure what these guys actually like, but they are very good with their criticisms of things. And sometimes they, they're filmmakers. I mean, they, they have made movies and they run a video production studio. And so they do have a good, solid knowledge of, uh, of what makes a good script and what makes a good film. And so I, I definitely respect them as critics. I don't always agree with them as critics. And I thought these lists were, uh, they're pretty different lists, but... There were some things on there that I was very shocked by. So, uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on uh, on what you've seen of the Red Letter Media videos? Or video. Uh, I, I mean, it's tough for me, especially now with all of the commitment and time we've spent to studying John Carpenter, and also biasly being a, a huge fan of his. It's it's hard for me to see the kind of cynical take on most of his things. Um, <laughs> I was I was I was entertained by it for sure. Um, but I think that when our listeners hear my rancor, it's going to be dramatically different than theirs. Um, so, some of the choices that were made right off the bat uh, were just jaw-dropping to me. And uh, that, so that that's kind of why I continued watching it, because, you know, I, I've, of course, gone down the YouTube rabbit hole of watching people uh, discuss or rank John Carpenter movies. And I've got to say, this was uh, and maybe kudos to them even more. This was a lot different than any of the other ones I had seen, starting off with, you know, one of them saying Dark Star was their least favorite John Carpenter movie. And yeah, that hurt. The, 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 <laughs> the other one that stood out a lot to me was Halloween ranked at number 12. I, I was just like, wow. I, yeah, I have not never seen it. that before. That's Rich's list, not Jay's. So they are, they didn't do the same. You know, they, they both gave their own. <laughs> yeah, I, I was a little shocked by that. I mean, I, I guess first, those guys are really funny and uh, just some of the stuff they had to say about John Carpenter, like taking, it was fun to sort of take a step back and, you know, we've, I think oh, we sure. take John Carpenter extremely seriously and that's what we yeah. wanted to do on this show and that's what we've been doing and we are both fans. I, they are fans to some extent as well, but we have haven't made fun of them to quite the the extent that they have and just uh the the joke about him having looked like he's 83 years old for the last 45 <laughs> years that made me laugh real hard that, well it's true though you know yeah it is it's like it's like yeah he got to like look like he was 80 when he was 50 yeah but then since then he hasn't aged a day right <laughs> I actually saw a guy that looked just like him the other day, and I was like, "Is that John Carpenter?" I was uh, I was in an auto race actually, so I, I don't know. I'm not sure if he's into to stock car racing, but whatever. Oh anyway, I, I, it's just kind of an interesting list. I do think uh, Rich ranked Dark Star. Like, I think it was a little unfair to that movie. I loved mm -hmm. that movie. I had never seen that before we started doing the show, and I know that it's a student film. And and he basically said, "Well, it's it's a good student film with a lot of filler," and that's true. I mean, that's exactly what it is but i like a lot of the filler you know the um they were really critical of the beach ball alien sequence and yes it's a little bit tacked on but also it's really really well done and particularly for the budget they had and particularly for the time and everything 
I think that movie really loses something without that. So, you know, again, differences of opinion. They were pretty harsh on Prince of Darkness, too. And I thought that movie is Mm. it's flawed, but it's a lot of fun. And I think it's a a great movie in a lot of ways. So I don't know. These things are basically designed to piss people off. And I think they knew it. They kind of admit (laughs) to that. Ours are probably going to piss some people off as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Just wait till you all hear how high cigarette burns is on mine. Yeah. Well, see, we're going to, and so I, that's, that, those, are, those are rules that we should establish now. So we're going to include the Master of Horrors film, and we're also... And the TV films as well. So they, they left out like right. anything that wasn't, I think, a theatrical release. I will say, um, I like nothing that they said, I do, like I said, respect them a lot as critics, but nothing that they said makes me want to change anything that I've said on this show. But they were talking about Ghosts of Mars, which they both ranked pretty low. And you and I both, I think like that film and had a good time with it, uh, understanding that it's not a great movie and that there's some big problems with it. But they showed this shot that I guess I didn't notice when uh, <laughs> when we had reviewed it. And it's uh, it's an action scene where all the characters are kind of like charging toward the camera with guns and they're fighting off the ghosts of Mars. <laughs> and there's this bit, I, I don't know how I missed it when I watched I watched it twice when we talked about it for the show. And Ice yeah. Cube, who's an actor I really like a lot and really liked in a lot of ways in that movie, He's kind of just like shaking his head back and forth, like very, very silly and firing his guns into absolutely nothing. (laughs) And he looks so ridiculous. I don't think I've ever seen Ice Cube look so embarrassing and ridiculous in my life. And I don't know, that just went over my head, I guess, when I saw the movie. And I must have been so into it at that point that I missed it. But I think they kind of had a point about that one. (laughs) Sure. Some aspect. Yeah, I I mean, look, I... I, I, will, I will never, uh, you know, stand on the hilltop trying to defend <laughs> that movie, but I I enjoy watching it. I just do, you know. It's a guilty pleasure, like I think we said on the uh on, I on absolutely believe that. And I don't think, you know, they they said some things that were convincing, <laughs> but also I it doesn't, like I said, make me want to change anything about what I said. But it does, it's an interesting evaluation, I think, of these movies. And, and sometimes you do need to maybe take things less seriously and take a step back. So uh, so I'm glad. I'm looking forward to their other two. I can't wait to see what their number ones are, right? Like, um, they kind of yeah. hint, hinted at what some of their favorite John Carpenter films might be. And I think they're pretty close to the top for us uh, as well. But we'll get to that. A few weeks, months down the road, we have some big plans for October. And then we're going to get to sort of the end game here where we're going to do the ward. And then we're going to start talking about our own ranked lists and then kind of put things on pause for a while. But that's a ways off for now. First, we need to get to John Carpenter's pro-life from Masters of Horror, so we'll get right back to do that. This girl was raped, and she's had a dissociative break with reality. She's determined she wants us to terminate the pregnancy. The only thing you can do to ensure my daughter's well-being is to let her out of that damn slaughterhouse. Feel it moving. An active baby is a healthy baby. Whatever's inside of me, it's evil. Something's wrong. All right, we are back, ready to talk about John Carpenter's pro-life, an episode of Masters of Horror, the Showtime series, Masters of Horror, a great anthology series that didn't last particularly long and certainly is hit and miss. Uh, Chris, you were just saying that you started watching some other non-John Carpenter episodes of Masters of Horror, and you haven't seen anything that really caught your attention yet. I want to love this so bad. It's like... (laughs) 
You know what I mean? And yeah, I started off season one at the beginning and I watched the first three episodes and I just couldn't get into it, man. I I don't know why. I just um it's there's something about it that's I don't know, it's just the 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 vibe of it. I don't know. And it's crazy because I think the intro to the show is so good. Oh, it's great. Like, yeah. Like every time it gets me so pumped up, I'm like, yes, this is going to be great. And then I'm just watching something like wildly mediocre is how I feel. Yeah, it it almost feels to me. I mean, I thought there were some pretty good episodes in season one, particularly. I owned the box set, as we talked about. And I don't want to get into all of that. We talked about it on the Cigarette Burns episode. And I love Cigarette Burns. I, I'm a huge, huge fan of that. But I remember watching it the first time and thinking, all right, you got all these great directors together. And it almost felt like, you know, when like a bunch of musical artists that you really like form like one of those super groups and their music is never as good as anything recorded by any of their individual. Like, remember Velvet Revolver? Oh, yeah, sure. The good ex- That's a good metaphor, yeah. <laughs> Masters of Horror is like the velvet revolver of filmmaking where you've got like all this obvious talent there. Or Audio Slave was kind of like that, although I sort of liked Audio Slave. But it was the same sort of thing. Oh, they rock. You're expecting like the best of, you know, like these forces combined, even though they're doing individual episodes, but same sort of deal. And it never really lived up to that promise. But you've got Carpenter, you've got Dario Argento and John Landis. And uh, I don't know. I'm not sure that I ever saw any of them that really blew my mind aside from cigarette burns. But Pro-Life was the fifth episode of season two. And (laughs) it is written by the team of Drew McQueenie and Scott Swan, who were the screenwriters for Cigarette Burns. Mm -hmm. So me having not seen this at this point, I was like, well, it's John Carpenter. It's the writers of one of my favorite things that John Carpenter ever did. It's a really interesting idea, what I knew about it. I was expecting to really love this. I was expecting to think this was a hidden gem. I kind of want to just put my cards on the table, and I think that will be helpful as we discuss this in detail. Are you cool with that, Chris? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. Actually, before we officially start our discussion on this, let me uh, hold on a sec here. Okay, I'm (laughs) ready now. (laughs) That sounds like the right thing to do. Uh, (laughs) In fact, I finished mine already, and I may have to go get another one. Um, So, Let me say this about pro-life. I think the premise of this as a horror film or an episode of an anthology series is phenomenal. It's first rate. It's a great idea. Um, What this basically is, is I kind of want to call it Assault in Precinct 13 meets Rosemary's Baby, where... It takes place at a a women's health clinic in the woods somewhere, which I I don't know that that's an exactly realistic thing, but whatever. It's somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. It looks like it's so remote that you'd need to take a helicopter to get there. But, you know, that's uh, another story for another day. But basically, it is about a, a young woman who is pregnant and she's going in to get an abortion because she feels that she has been uh, raped by the devil or something, some entity from hell. And uh, complicating matters is that her father is a religious fundamentalist who has, I guess, gotten into conflict with this clinic before. And he shows up ready to, to basically barge in there with his three sons and break her out before the procedure can actually happen. Uh, 
Uh, he doesn't know that her, her child is potentially a demon baby, but he's basically been spoken to by God that, uh, that he needs to let the baby live. So that's a fascinating setup for a movie, I think, a fascinating setup for a script. Obviously, it has potentially some political overtones, and John Carpenter, you know, he's no stranger to that. Uh, it also, again, it's totally in his wheelhouse. He's done supernatural horror. He's done siege movies, and this is absolutely a siege mm -hmm. movie, kind of in miniature. So I was really expecting great things out of this. And uh, Ron Perlman is kind of the, the one sort of name cast member in this, and I love Ron Perlman. He, of course, plays the religious fundamentalist father. He's the bad guy, and he is a, a mesmerizing personality. He plays a great villain. He plays a great hero, too, but uh, he's certainly known for kind of his villainous roles. So I went into this with, like, very high expectations, and I walked out of it just... I, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I mean, I obviously will, will come up with something. We do have a show to do here. Like, I described it to you not as a love-hate relationship I had with it, but as a hate-love relationship, because there are some things, like the premise, that I think are awesome, and there are some things that I think are just so beyond terrible that I can't believe anybody signed off on them. Not the producers, or John Carpenter, or the writers. Um, this script is... It's atrocious. It's it's really brutally bad in a lot of ways. And I expected better from the guys who wrote Cigarette Burns because I think that script is really great. And even like when we talked about that on the show, I think the complaints that you and, and Josh, our guest co-host for that show, had were more about the direction and more about uh, the visuals than they were the script. And I thought that was kind of interesting because here the direction is mostly OK. I think Carpenter, it's not his his flashiest work and not his most accomplished work, but I don't think he's much to blame here. But boy, this script. So, um, you know, it's like if I had to give this a number rating, like from from zero to ten, certain aspects of it are a 10 and certain aspects of it are a zero. So I'm going to just average it out as a five. And hopefully as we have this discussion, I'll, I'll maybe be able to clarify that a little bit better, but man, this is, it's pretty wild. I will say that about it. It's certainly never boring. And it's certainly got some things that uh, around every corner, there is a shock, but sometimes you're just shocked at how bad it is. What are your thoughts, Chris? <laughs> Well, that's all we have for you today, folks. Uh, Nick, I, th I think you, I think you uh, wrapped that up all pretty nicely. Um, yeah, like, where do I even start? The first bullet point that I have literally says horrible writing. Yeah, uh, it's just so bad. Like, and I think what this really suffers from is like, you know, in Cigarette Burns, for example, you have this awesome performance from Ido Kier. Ron Perlman is fine in this and probably the only like established actor in it, but none of the other characters are likable and they all seem like this was the first time they were ever behind a camera. And I don't know if that's just because of how bad the writing is or just because of their lack of experience, but that is certainly what this picture suffers from the most is just really bad writing to the point of complete cringeworthiness like dude 
if I had a nickel for every time Ron Perlman said my little girl mm, or yeah. the baby, like it's just like, oh my God. Or how many times people say, Are you okay? Like when they're <laughs> clearly not. It, it just really like I <laughs> when I, there's I, a I, giant I, demon baby like <laughs> distending her stomach and like moving around in there. Yeah. How are you feeling right now? <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous. So I guess I guess I'll start off by saying the things that I did like about it. Oh, I mean, we've got our boy Cody Carpenter doing the music. The music's good. Yeah, yeah. It's very John Carpenter sounding. It's, uh, again, Cody Carpenter being a chip off the old block. Yeah, and he also did Cigarette Burn, so that's Mm kind of cool how he gave the uh, musical duties to his son for both of these, and I actually enjoyed the music very much. I thought the the theme there at the beginning and the end was very beautifully played, and I've got nothing bad to say about the use of music in this. So you'll buy Um, this on vinyl when they release it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I probably would, which is the same. In a limited edition of one with your name on it? Yeah. Um, So, you know, and then also... Um, Greg Nicotero on the effects, always good. Like, I actually didn't mind the way that the devil demon spawn thing <laughs> looked or, or whatever. Well, and, I, uh, I, I don't want to get to that yet. I have some thoughts about okay. the special effects. What, yeah. One thing I will say, though, is uh, just looking over some of the IMDb user reviews of this, that was a lot of people's big complaint with this about, like, CGI gore. And to me, it's like, if that's the thing you hate the most about this, then you're really yes. missing something. Um, well, but there are, there's a couple, like, uh, it, it's... You know, it's it's kind of a horror action movie almost. Like there's a lot of shootouts in it and some people get pieces of their head blown off. Um, there's one character who like there's this really juicy headshot in one scene and then we see his body on the ground a couple scenes later and his head is like perfectly intact so not great continuity but i don't know the cgi gore didn't bother me there's some special talking about the security guard yeah 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 Yeah, like how did the rest of his head suddenly rebuild itself (laughs) but uh yeah you know it's it's they're great special effects people, and I think the special effects are mostly good. Um, when it gets into more sort of monstery stuff toward the uh, toward the end, that's where I I start to lose that a little bit. But we'll definitely cross that bridge when we come to it. Anything else positive to say about this? No, um, <laughs> I, I really don't have anything else positive to say. But I, I and I was taken out of it right at the beginning too, Nick, because like the main character at the beginning is like running through the woods. And uh, I'm like, okay, the music's good and all that. I found the the two things right off the bat that set me off, because you know how much I love, like, opening credit scenes to movies are huge for me. Yeah. I didn't like the font at all. (laughs) Like, it's just this, like, super plain, like, white font. Like, it didn't look, it just didn't feel or look like a Carpenter movie. And then the slow motion shots of her running just look like, I don't even know what they look like. Like it's just so cheesy. Well, they they look terrible, and I was wondering about that because I don't know if this was shot on film or or on video, <laughs> but like this was two thousand seven, so there wasn't a lot of stuff being shot on video. Like maybe it was because when you slow down, video is uh, twenty four or thirty frames per second, and you really can't slow it down unless you shoot more frames than that. So I, I've done that too. You know, I, back in the day, particularly when I, I didn't have as good of a camera as I had now, sometimes you want to do a little slow mo shot. So you slow down something that's twenty four frames per second. You run it at sixty, and there's just uh, you know there's there's not enough frames 
frames there, basically. So it's going to look choppy. It's going to look stroby. Um, and yeah, that looked really, really bad in this. That could be, I mean, I watched this on Tubi. I don't know about you. Um, it, it's possible that that's just the transfer. But yeah, there's a lot of slow motion in this. And yes, it looks pretty terrible. Yeah, and and right off the bat, you know, the scene of her just running out of the woods and... So well, I, I, I don't get this scene. Right. I don't either, because it doesn't match up with the story she tells later about where she was when everything went down. And also, oh God, it's just so bad. I'm going to try this. So <laughs> this couple is driving and, and, you know, she just runs out of the woods in front of the car well, this, seen... this is another thing I don't know. We we can't even get to that right. Like before, I know. So this is uh, these are our main characters, or some of our main characters we see in this car. Uh, Alex is uh, Doctor O'Shea is uh, played by Mark Feuerstein, who's a TV actor. He's a guy I've I've seen before, and uh, he is with uh, a nurse named Kim, and they work at this clinic together. We we come to find out, and it it sounds like I I don't even get their relationship right. It sounds like they're professional colleagues and they just had a one-night stand and now they're driving to work together, which if you didn't want people to know, then why would you do that? But also they might be in a relationship. Like none of that is established really well unless I just missed something, but I don't know. And then uh, and then this young girl, <clears throat> this young girl by the name of Angelique, which, uh, you know, real on-the-nose name there. Uh, lots of religious <laughs> symbolism in this. Played by an actress I had not seen before. Her name is Caitlin Walks, and uh, she looked a lot to me like Leprechaun-era Jennifer Aniston, for what it's worth, I kind of liked her mm. in this. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I won't say her performance is great, but uh, aside from her and Ron Perlman, everybody else could just be played by a, you know, a, a CGI dummy or something like that. Yeah. Um. But she is running through the woods, and I like, is she? trying to get to the clinic or does she just happen to like the way the film is like establishes it it's almost like she's just running away from home and she happens to run into these two people who happen to work at a women's health clinic who happen to be uh people who can perform an abortion on her and that's exactly what she needs but like is she headed there or uh, like does that make any sense to you uh, no, it doesn't make any sense, and that, that's the whole point. Uh, I, mean, I was like, wow, what a lucky find. You need this one thing, and they happen to be two people who can do that at the place where you would do that. And they're like, are you okay? She's in shock. Let's bring her. I'm like, what are you talking about? So, Oh, yeah, and they hit her with a car, right? It doesn't even – whether contact – whether or not contact is actually made is also not established. I don't yeah. believe. And and if it and if it were, it would be even worse because she's obviously not like <laughs> injured in any kind of way, which that... makes it even weirder. Because when they get to the hospital, they like have a wheelchair for her. And dude, I literally have in my notes wheelchair comma why, <laughs> and then like so. They're on their well, way to the. If if you're pregnant, they'll wheel you into a, a clinic or a hospital in a but wheelchair. But they don't know that she's pregnant at this point. I thought they did. No, they don't. This is this is what makes it even worse. So well, she just, just got hit by a car. <laughs> I don't think she got hit by the car. That's the thing. So they. So yeah. So she they got shocked get there. by a car. Okay, so let's just say that they. Yeah. She, yeah. She got shocked <laughs> by the car. So let's just let's just hypothesize. Like, okay, let's say she did get hit with the car. They bring her to the clinic. Nick, you just had me thinking, maybe she was headed there. I don't know why she would be doing it by means of running through the woods. Like she's, because she seems like she's running away from something. Because 
obviously if her father has a restraining order placed against him at this particular facility, like because he's this, you know, hugely religious guy that has... Yeah, he must have protested it or something in the past. It's, yeah, yeah, like I was saying, it's so remote. It's like in the middle of a very thick forest. It's set in Oregon, so it's the Pacific Northwest and looks like it. looks like it was shot in Loca- or, or in Canada where it looks like the Pacific Northwest. Probably Canada because it's cheaper to shoot there. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's certainly possible she would know that this place existed she would know that it's in the middle of nowhere it kind of makes sense to have a place like that in the middle of nowhere because there are going to be people like ron perlman's character who might try to come and and burn the place down or bomb it or something like that so i guess but it's all just so sketchily established that it is it's very hard to sort of be sympathetic to this guy and you know it's a, a pregnant what's she 14 or 15 years old or something i mean it should be very easy to care about this character but I don't know it's just like nothing is established well enough where you can do that and you know we uh, we see Ron Perlman like right away so I, I guess she's running from him running to this clinic I, I don't know yeah because right so they get her inside and that's enter Ron Perlman pulls up to the gates in his big red truck and he's just like you've got my daughter in there and they're, and they're like yeah he no, tries to Ron Perlman his way in he tries to Ron Perlman his way in, and you know there's like the the like the head doctor is there and the security guards there and they're like, well, uh, he shouldn't be here. That's violating his res- his restraining order. Why don't we uh Why don't we go talk to him? And I'm just like, in what world? Like I'm like, call the police. <laughs> well, right, yeah, like, where are the cops in this universe? <laughs> like, like, call the police, and... Personally, I, I would call the police when I almost hit someone with my car, and uh, you know, either hit her or almost hit her. She's obviously in shock. Um, it's a little weird that they just cover that up. That, those are our heroes in this film. Now, we'll just take you to our, our hospital, to our clinic, and we'll patch you up there, but don't tell anybody about this, all right? They... Start asking her questions about why she's there, and at one point they ask her to remove her shirt. At at that point, they look at her and are like, "You're pregnant." And if you pay attention to that particular shot, she doesn't look pregnant at all. (laughs) No, she's a a very very thin actress, and yeah, until we actually see this like rubber belly that they're using to to stand in for her pregnant belly when she's actually on the operating table. Yeah, she doesn't look pregnant at all. Although the way I took that, and this movie might actually be this stupid, (laughs) is um, so they they finally examine her. This is a couple of scenes later, and they think she's they think it happened a lot longer ago than it did. That she's like much much farther along than she actually is so it seems like the gestation period for this demon baby is happening really really fast so I almost feel like between that first scene where they're just asking her questions and a couple of scenes later which is like just a couple of minutes you know it's like 15 minutes later in the time of the movie she's that much more pregnant by then um, because that's just the way this works it could be that or it could just be they they didn't have the the prop belly for that scene I don't know (laughs) (laughs) probably um yeah and and like there's you know like so you have to understand her father is like really in a rush to get his daughter back like he's being really insubordinate with the security guard and the doctor and what i find interesting about it is like 
they're basically just talking shit to him the whole time, except the security guard is is a total pushover. You know, yeah. like he goes out to the truck and he's just like, like I'm watching it going, how's this guy the security guard? But anyway, well, he's the like, doctors are like total dicks to him, which fine. I mean, I, I guess they have history, but uh, yeah, Doctor O'Shea, who again oh, is our he's hero, like, he's just like shit talking. Yeah, like goes right up to the fence and is like. His name is Dwayne. He's like, oh, oh you want to come in here, Dwayne? And it's like, he says it right, twice it... in twenty seconds. Yeah, Dwayne. Like, hey, hey, Dwayne. What's that? Was that is that your baby, Dwayne? He's like accusing the guy of raping his own daughter. Yeah, right. It's, it's like, do you want to have an armed standoff happen here? Because that's what happens. But it's almost just like. I don't know. It's like he's he's making it. He's he's willing it into existence, and that kind of doesn't make sense either. Like, dude, you're a doctor. Like, go do your job. Yeah, and and uh, it's just it's so ridiculous that they would even entertain. Like, you know, like again, Ron Perlman's like, okay, my little girl's in there, and like, you know, the security guard's like, okay, I'll go inside and talk to them. Give me a minute. And I love this. Ron Perlman's like, all right, you got it. <laughs> one minute and i'm like what like he's literally like okay you have 60 seconds to get it i mean yeah it's just the fact that they're even entertaining like talking to this guy in any r- real world scenario the police would have been called immediately they wouldn't have even talked to this guy well they eventually they're like well you have it. to back your truck up what like 500 yards or something and that's like i guess the the restraining order that's what it specifies yeah like let me say this right abortion is a, a highly charged issue and there's all kinds of films about it and and writing about it i mean it, it's something that you sh- probably should take at least somewhat seriously when you're you know not that you can't make a film that's blackly comedic and over the top i mean it's it's a it's kind of a squicky subject to do that about whatever side of the issue you fall on but it's like all the characters in this act like they're like five years old and i don't know it, it's just very like tonally it's it's all over the place and i assume you know knowing who john carpenter is and knowing what some of his, his earlier films are are like and are about he probably wanted to make this a statement you know he probably took on this project because he felt very strongly about this issue uh, you know he was uh, very strongly not pro-life the, the title is ironic right but it's like almost the way it plays out is is comedic but it's not trying to be comedic it's just silly because it's so stupid and uh and you know that's a bad flex for for something about as serious a subject as this i, I think yeah, I don't think the movie has a statement or or makes a point. I think you. you no, I, I I don't know. That, that's the other thing. You get to the end of this and you're like, okay, so well, maybe it is pro life. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll get to that point. But uh, yeah, so we get basically. I mean, we can kind of skip ahead a little bit. We end up finding out. We do get a flashback sequence where Angelique is uh, just sitting on a swing set in her backyard, and uh, I I hate this about it too. Uh, there had to be a better way to do this. So she's literally swinging. We see her feet. Swing swinging back and forth. It's kind of a cool looking creepy shot. And then the ground opens up and these hands pull her underground. And, you know, the one thing I will give them credit for is is the rape scene is very, very sort of hazy and, and vague. And, you know, I, I didn't really want to see demon rape in this movie and you don't really see it at all, which is nice. But like just the mechanics of this, right? So hell is what, like five feet underground? It's so ridiculous. <laughs> she could have easily just dug right down and gone down there and then 
when uh, when the father, as he's credited, eventually emerges in the movie later on, it's the same thing. There's like an earthquake and uh, and he just like rises up out of, of uh, a crater that supposedly goes all the way down to hell. So um, I don't know. Pretty silly. But we do get that flashback. We do get the sense that she's um, telling the truth about this demon impregnation. And eventually the doctors decide, uh, you know, they, they go along with her. They, they examine her a couple times and they're like, all right, you know, I, I guess we have to do this. We're going to abort this uh, supernatural religious demon baby. Ron Perlman's character, Dwayne, eventually comes back with his three sons. And oh after a little bit more talking, he decides, all right, we're just going to break in. And that sets up our assault and precinct 13 sort of sequence or our, our sort of assault and precinct 13. I, I guess you would call it like a, a subplot. Yeah, and also during that time, we're introduced to like the worst dad in the world. Oh, that guy's the, an in asshole. In the waiting room, yeah. it's unbelievable. Like he's there with his daughter, and he's just like, "You're the reason why we're here, you bitch," or something. It's just like, yeah, wow. and like the mother's I mean... there too. It's like then, then don't go, you <laughs> asshole. Yeah, I know. Uh, and, oh, like, so. The Go behavior ahead. of the characters in this is just so off the wall, and I don't understand it at all. And and so when this does become a, st- a siege sequence, like he gets even worse. Like you know, no one is that stupid. No one is that much of an asshole. I don't care who you are. Um, the other character that I really really hate is the the head of this clinic. His name is Doctor Kiefer, and he seems somewhat you know rational and reasonable. He of course is very much opposed to Ron Perlman's character, but. Uh, Apparently, like, he's been planning for this for a long time. Like, the place is just, like, stockpiled weapons. They have, like, an arsenal inside this, you know, thinly disguised Planned Parenthood clinic. He has a bulletproof vest. He's got a a flak jacket. Yeah. So (laughs) that's what ends up happening. Perlman's character, Dwayne, and his three sons basically try to breach the door of this place. There are a few patients still there. So um, one of them being that family that we were just talking about, they get ushered into another room and they kind of just like hang out there for a while. And no one ever seems to react the way you like, this is a, a siege, right? This is like they a, never a, try to escape. a terrorist hostage situation. And they're like, Oh, well, well, we'll be safe. It's okay that they already got through the front door and they're shooting their way in. We'll be fine. We'll just hang in this waiting room here off the hallway. And nobody's going to find us. Okay. So that sort of brings me to uh, it, I, I'm sorry, we probably getting ahead of ourselves here. Take over for, for a minute and then I'll tell you about my least favorite thing in the movie. Well, I just um, wanted to point out that, you know, you mentioned that Ron Perlman gets together with uh, or Dwayne <laughs> gets uh, gets his his sons, I guess his three sons together. This is so stupid. And he's like, all right, to one of his sons, he's like, hey, boy, you think you can climb that telephone pole and cut the power? And I'm like, what? What is even happening? So that happens. They cut the phone lines, and, right? Yeah, they, they yeah, they cut the phone lines. They get, uh, you know, they load up all their artillery and everything. And then they just go right up to the same gate that he was at before. Somehow one of the sons finds another way in. They don't never show us how yeah. he gets there. He's just standing behind the security guard all of a sudden. And then Ron Perlman just blows the head off of this security guard out of nowhere. And it's like, okay, why didn't we just do that to begin with? Like, 
Well, it's it's an escalation. It's just it's not articulated well, right? Like I get what they were going for, right? Like, all right, I'll first I'm going to show up here and we can just talk. Like, you know, he's a, a psychopath, but he's trying a, a somewhat like measured, reasonable approach at first, and then it sort of escalates to the point where, all right, we're going to shoot our way in. But because we see so little of that, and because the characters are so underdeveloped, it seems like yeah, if he's that psychotic, he should probably just start shooting his way in right from the beginning. Chris, let me ask you a question because it's really important it'll be very important later on so when Dwayne and his sons show up they kill the security <laughs> guard what is their aim what is their goal at that point in this story well that's what I'm saying it's it's to simply go inside there and retrieve his daughter right before she gets an abortion yes okay yeah. that's all I'm asking I, 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 not a trick question I just want to make well, sure we're on the same page yeah, and later on, like, and and then and then they're like perplexed by how they're gonna get in, like, with there's like, oh my god, there's a door. I'm like, what? It just, I don't know. Um, one of but the sons. It's a wooden it, door, by the way. It, like, it's very, very easy to. I mean, if this place is so heavily secured, which again, it's not a, you know, a government facility. It's not a prison or anything like that. But it is a place where they might encounter some some people like Ron Perlman's character. So you'd think it would have better quality uh, security there is no security and they just blow they 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 eventually just you know um rambo style <laughs> like <laughs> shoot these doors down we should mention that one of the three sons is you know not down with the cause and pretty reluctant about going in there and maybe being put in a situation where he would have to harm or kill somebody else but this movie is just so ridiculous, dude. Perlman goes in there with his kids and just start shooting off rounds everywhere. Like, and the doctor, meanwhile, we're watching the doctor. He breaks into the gun safe. He's pulling out all his guns. He's, he's putting his, his gear on. And uh, he ends up shooting and killing one of Dwayne's kids. Yes. And I couldn't help but think to myself the whole time watching it, I'm like, is Dwayne's character supposed to be the stupidest person on earth? Because I'm like, how is he not completely aware that he's 100% responsible for the fact that his son is dead now? And Chris, he makes him go first. He makes him go first. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Like, okay, so, all right. So, I mean, there is maybe, like I said, this is a good premise. It's a good idea. It's really interesting. It, You know, similar things worked in, like, Assault and Precinct 13. But, like, there's no sense in that, like, whatsoever, right? Like, there, it just, it doesn't make sense. Like, any of the character decisions, any of their reactions to anything... And, um, yeah, he, like, sends them in ahead of him. Like, no one would ever do that. I don't care how much of a... And, like, his mission is to rescue his daughter, right? And his potential grandchild. So, obviously, whatever you feel about him, he cares about his family. But then he's just like, nah, you guys take the first round of fire, and then I'll walk in behind you. Like, that doesn't check. And, like, <laughs> it's it's so insane because he's, like... At one point, you know, he, when they're in the shootout with the, the head doctor there, he's like, he says something like, um, just try to see things my way. <laughs> you know, he's like, my little girl, you know, means everything to me and my kids are my heart and this and that, right? <laughs> yeah. And the camera goes back to the head doctor and you actually start to see like 
the beginning signs of sympathy on his face, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't you dare even go there. And then but you get what I'm saying, though, right? Like, there is a good version of this, like, where the characters are developed, where he is this, you know, absolute fundamentalist. He thinks he's on a mission from oh, yeah. God. His family is, you know, they're, like, on this religious crusade with him, right? And not that the character would be sympathetic, because I think a lot of people in the audience would hate him anyway, but, like, he would be believable. Um, I always think, you know talk about heroes and villains in, in action films and stuff like this. Uh, Ed Harris's character in The Rock is this very, very sympathetic villain. He's about to commit this terrible terrorist act, and, uh, and you know, he definitely has what's coming to him coming to him, but we actually care about that character, and, and we understand where he's coming from, and there is this sort of thing that, like, just lodges in your head, like, oh, yeah, well, if things had gone differently for him or something like that. And here it's just like, not only are they cartoon characters, but they're cartoon characters with no cohesive sense of, of who they are or what they're trying to do. And so, like, Carpenter does a pretty good job with the shootout stuff. I mean, he, he can direct an action scene in his sleep, probably. And even though this is a little cheap-looking, it does have sort of a very TV-ish feel to it. You know, there's some tense, like, uh, people hiding behind columns and in doorways and firing off rounds at each other. Um, at this point, the two, uh, the doctor and the nurse that we met in the beginning, they have secured uh, Angelique in the operating room, like, sort of in the, the bowels of the building. Thing, so they're like not really part of what's going on, but uh, but there is you know some okay-ish action stuff happening here. But it all just, it's so hard to get invested in any of it. And then, you know, along the way, right, like periodically we do check back in with Angelique and we start to see, like I was saying before, her belly starts moving. And obviously this is not a normal pregnancy. And, uh, and you know, it, it sort of starts to become very obvious to the doctors that whatever is inside her is, uh, is not fully human. And so that's some good body horror-ish stuff. And I don't even think that's a bad idea, right? Like, I think all of the elements are here to have a pretty interesting like I said it's Assault in Precinct 13 meets Rosemary's Baby and like those are both good movies and the um you know to combine them I think would be really interesting but nothing works at one point the doc <laughs> when they're when they're in the shootout when they're in the standoff again with Dwayne and the doctor and Dr. Kiefer Dr. Kiefer just says hey Dwayne did you kill our security guard? <laughs> it, it's like, oh my God, the dialogue is just atrocious. Like it was written by a third grader. I, I feel like it was just written very quickly. Like nobody thought about it. They're just like, this happens, then this happens, then this happens, and then we're done and we can go have martinis or something. Yeah, but like, and then that's the other thing too that I took note of here. When they finally get the doctor trapped in his office and shoot him, they fill this guy up with so much lead, it's ridiculous. The kid is firing a shotgun at him yes. over and over while Perlman is... But There's like 15 rounds fired into this guy. And he basically looks like he just got grazed by a couple bullets. Like, he's yeah, not no, well, even... It, he's it, wearing a flak jacket, but his head is, like, right there. Like, all you have to do is, like, maybe, like, insane. sight down the barrel and shoot him in the head, and this is over. But here's... Uh, uh, let's get to it now, because we're basically at it. The stupidest thing in a movie that is full of stupid things is they break into this building. They are there to get his daughter out, as we were saying, before she aborts this baby, because that is part of his family also, and God told him to do it but instead of trying to find her right so he's got 
one son alive at this point, or is it two? Uh, I don't it's still remember. two, I believe. It's still two. Okay. So rather than uh, say to them, all right, go find my daughter, go find your sister, he ties the doctor down. The uh, Dr. Kiefer has working abortion equipment in his office, which that makes no sense because why would you have that? I guess he, you know, it's like vintage medical equipment that he has, but it all just works. You like flip a switch and there's like a vacuum and all kinds of gross stuff that he has. And they spend, I don't know how much time of, uh, you know, it's, it's just a few minutes of screen time in the movie, but it's got to be taking a long time in real time. And they just torture this doctor as as if his daughter is not already there. I mean, there's a ticking clock here and they just throw that out the window, right? So, oh, well, whatever. She's uh, she's having the procedure done in the other room. But first we have to make this guy really pay for everything that he's done. And yeah, like, how is he even alive to be tortured? Uh, it, it just, that scene pissed me off so, so much. I get it, right? I, I mean, I know it's supposed to be like a character building moment that Dwayne is, is more interested in torturing this doctor than he is in rescuing his daughter and his grandchildren child but like what the fuck is that <laughs> really all yeah. i can say is what the fuck is that yeah and it's so insane like another example of how bad the acting and writing is in this is like when the doctor's laying down on the table and Dwayne's about to literally like i don't know cut his ass open or something he's just like <laughs> there's a shot of him laying on his back and he's like you can't do this <laughs> and, and i'm like Oh my God. It's just, it's so like, I just don't know how anyone was like, yep, that that's, that's a good take right there. And it's gross. And it's not gross in a fun way, right? Like when, uh, when Udo Kier's intestines go through the film projector and cigarette burns, I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. And this is just like, ick and and you know i'm so taken out of the story at that point anyway that it's just like i don't want to see this movie just like get this over with this was so stupid and yep. by that point it's like wherever this goes from here like this is never going to redeem himself because i i gotta say there's some kind of nifty carpenter moments there's some directorial stuff that's okay and i like the setup and i like it you know we know this is all going to end up in some kind of standoff with the daughter and we're not sure if she's actually going to get to have the demon baby or not if they're going to be successful or if they're not and like there's some interesting things that are set up but by this point it's just like yeah i don't care anymore do whatever you want you've completely lost me yep um so <laughs> so they torture the doctor to death and uh, and then yeah. finally they get back to the thing or, that I asked you about before like their number one goal it, like look torture him later he's not going anywhere you <laughs> what'd you say he shot him like 12 times it's not like he's just gonna walk out like he probably can't even move so leave him there go do what you came to do and, and then come back and torture him right yep and at, at this point, somewhere along the line, the rest of the people that were in the waiting room finally decide to, oh, wait, I don't know, leave. <laughs> so, so like very so casually, like, you know, like there's like, a shot. There's, there's a shot where like all of them are literally just standing still listening to everything that's going on. And I'm like, just leave. Like, just seriously, just go. Like, and I think just, just your human instinct would be to just get, you know, none of and, these characters have that. Right. So then they get out in the parking lot and the guy who's the worst dad in the world who's like, you know, shaming his daughter for being there the whole time. Yeah. He gets shot by the son of Dwayne that was too hesitant to go inside, which also who cares? Because like this guy's 
This guy literally calls his daughter a bitch, at one point threatens to, like, knock her out, and it's completely humiliating to her. So, like, when he dies, we don't really care. But, like... No, because they're obviously setting up that character to, to get what's coming. Like, in a good movie, right, you'd kind of hint at that, but you wouldn't show it. And then he would do something really despicable, and then he would get killed, and then you'd be like, oh, shit, that guy had it coming. But this is just like, oh, he's here to be cannon fodder. Like, obviously something terrible is going to happen to him. And it's, uh, it's like, such an obvious, like, forced payoff that it's no fun at all, and it should be fun. It should be at least yeah, satisfying. And- and I don't even buy his 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 son executing this guy the way he does because he's obviously so like hesitant and reluctant to be part of what's going on there at all. But then all of a sudden, when there's people leaving, like the guy even points out to him, he's like, "My daughter didn't even go through with the procedure yeah, yet. Just, you know, just like, let there's, us there's, go. Sure. There's nothing for you to kill us for." And he just no, nope, he just shoots him in the stomach with a shotgun. Right, and that's supposed to be a big moment too, right? Like again, a, a thing that should be set up well, right? This this son, this sort of hesitant son that's waiting outside because he doesn't want to get his hands dirty inside. Like building up to killing someone should be a big deal for him, and yeah, like you said, he just kind of does it, and it should be this choice that that is really interesting, and it just isn't. And we hate these characters anyway, so doesn't really matter. The the wife and the daughter get away. So I guess that's good. But they, but I wasn't even done. I mean, he shoots the guy in the stomach and he says to him, you killed me. And then he falls to his (laughs) knees and the guy, uh, the son shoots him in the head and blows his head off. And all the while... His wife and daughter are just in the car watching this all happen. Uh, I'll be honest, Chris. I feel like they're watching this like, you know, whatever. We'll see what happens. Well, that's what I was thinking, right? I'm like, I'm like, I don't Are they watching because they're like, but no, they're terrified. They, I just, the way the timing of that all worked out. And then we don't even go back to see what happens with like, I guess he just killed that one guy. And then that was it because he ends up coming back inside uh, yeah, what if anybody else is trying to escape? So clearly, anyone trying to escape from this place, you you have to kill them now. And it's like, oh, whatever. I, I don't know. Yeah. No, none of so, it makes any sense. I will say, Chris, a little screenwriting tip for anybody who maybe is writing a movie of their own. You Killed Me is like the worst line ever. I've heard it in movies before, yep. and it never works. Like when a character is dying and says that to the person who put them in that state. Um, No, just uh, this no movie. Good. This movie. This movie is... So it's funny because Alex and I have been noticing this uh, a lot in movies lately, and I'm sorry to, to implant this into your brain, but the amount of times that the question, are you okay, gets brought up in <laughs> yep. movies is absolutely astonishing. And when you start to pay attention to it, it's just, it's incredibly annoying. This this movie also has that happen a few times. It's like, oh, you just gave birth to a hell spawn demon. Like, are you okay? I, I just, I mean, we literally said out loud at one point, are you okay? <laughs> like, just being funny. And then the character said, like, are you okay? And I was just like, <laughs> wow, dude, this is The not only good. way that works is if it's sarcastic and whoever this character is that, like, just had ber- uh, gave birth to a demon baby is like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that's what happens. Like, like, it's another, I don't even want to talk about the, the scene where the the birth 
starts. Oh, it's just, I, it's, I do. <laughs> it's okay. so it's so disgusting. Her water breaks. Yeah, and so she starts to go it, into labor, and we see a shot of her crotch, like kind of from uh, from above, like she'd be looking down. It's kind of a POV shot, but it's not really. And then we see crab legs. Like, well, but, literally, but, 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 when this thing but, starts to come out of her, all I could think is, that looks like something I ate at the buffet back in the day. Yeah, and there's some really weird sound effects that I don't know fit necessarily. And then, like, but she sprays all over this woman nurse, and she, it's and she's just like, I can't see anything. And this goes on and on, and I'm like wash your face off <laughs> like i just i just can't believe it i'm like is there not a sink like in this room or something right like, like don't clinics uh like any sort of medical facility don't they have eye wash stations in case you get chemicals in your eyes so just like go it, over there so yeah so yeah the crab legs come out oh my um, like did you think crab legs because they are i really think they're literally king crab legs they are Alaskan king crab legs. Um, <laughs> it looks like a and... <laughs> Red Lobster commercial. It looks like the goriest Red Lobster commercial ever made. Yeah, and she's just like, oh, and the and the the, the creature comes out, and uh, the creature's pretty cool. I mean, it's definitely disturbing. It's looking not at bad the... looking. Yeah, it. Well, so it's got like a human baby head and kind of like a a spider body and crab legs. And it, yeah. it's sort of like, you know, it has facial expressions. It looks like a practical. I mean, it, it's at least somewhat practical. Like the crab legs are certainly a practical effect. I'm sure there's some CGI in there also. Um, reminds me a little <laughs> bit of the, the head spider from the thing. Reminds me a little <laughs> bit of the, uh, you remember Toy Story? Like the doll's head with the spider legs. That character looks a little bit like that. And it's pretty disturbing. It's not bad i mean i would put that in the in the the good uh column for this movie and there's not much in there it's it's pretty lonely there but there's that uh yeah and they and uh it even like makes like these really high-pitched squealing noises like it like uh yeah, like a baby it, well yeah or like a lobster when you throw it in a <laughs> pot you know? okay yeah well <laughs> I, I just i i don't know i yeah this thing's crawling around and what I love about this is that the two doctors just leave Angelique in the room. Yeah. Alone with this thing to save their own asses. I, like, I couldn't believe what I was watching. I was just like, wow, they're just going to leave her alone in the room there. But there's something interesting there, too. Like, they, they don't, there's all these things that they just leave on the table, right? Because it is, in some sense, her baby, and, you know, the procedure didn't go through, and, like, is there going to be some kind of attachment there or something? Like, you know, that would be really disturbing and really creepy, but they don't really do that. It's like they just, they don't care, they don't have time. Um, and somewhere around here, like, the order of things, maybe you have a better sense of it than I do, um, Daddy comes looking for the baby. He comes looking at he says the baby ten times. Yes. And even his son is like, that is not possible. That's not a normal thing. Um, but he's like, we've got to find the baby. We've got to oh, protect uh, no, the baby. No, I'm sorry. I mean the actual father of the, so the, um, the, oh, yes, the hell yes. demon um, <laughs> yes, emerges yes. from the netherworld through a, a hole in the floor. Because, again, hell is like three feet below the surface. Yeah, he just like breaks out of the ground in the waiting room or something like that. <laughs> Which like, is, a, it looks pretty cool. I, I'm, I'm gonna even. You said it, you, you like the demon creature, right? I, that, 
I thought it was okay. Yeah. It's not bad. It's very biblical looking. It has like curved horns. Um, it's clearly mm-hmm. a guy in a suit. You know, I think they probably could have done a little bit better to like just sort of hide it or do something with the lighting where we're not seeing it sort of lumber around. Um, you know, it, it it's not a great costume but it's a good design and i'm not you know i've seen worse in low budget movies before so that doesn't really bother me all that much and it does like i said it has kind of a classical sort of biblical demon look to it so clearly some time was spent on that some thought was was put into that (laughs) it so looks like a suit too dude there was a scene where like you can literally see it fold like as it walks by oh "Oh yeah yeah. i'm surprised you couldn't see a zipper yeah, and, you know, so it pops up out of the ground. And then, dude, I took note of this. This is another thing that I had to point out. It's so ridiculous. So once uh, Daddy Daddy Devil shows up, the, the, <laughs> the power goes out. Yes. And there's a scene that cuts to Ron Perlman and his son. And he says, Daddy, it got dark. And when he says that, there's a fucking window behind them with light just shining through it. <laughs> it's it's I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my god, yeah. And then you know they they find he finally finds uh, his daughter with his son. His son saying, "You're crazy. Who cares? Let's leave the baby behind." I guess she's just pretending like she's sleeping or something. And when they find the baby, no, oh, now I'm trying to remember how this actually ends because. At some point, Dwayne comes face to face with with the uh, with the devil creature here, and yeah, he's like, "God lied to me." Yeah, he's like, "Why the baby and why this and that?" And it's I guess so. The whole time, he thought it was God telling you telling him to protect the child when the whole time it was actually this demon talking to him. Right. Well, I guess, and again, you know, a better movie would have teased this theme out a little bit more, but I guess he thinks it's like a virgin birth kind of thing. Like she's going to give birth to to the second coming of Christ. And Ah. it it turns out to be the Antichrist. That's an interesting idea for a movie. (laughs) If anybody wants to remake this, which I don't think anybody does. It's all ideas and no execution here. And then that's perfect. Yeah, put that on the DVD case. <laughs> and 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 you know what's funny too is like even I mentioned like like the music, right? Like it's really good when when it starts. Hey. You got the theme song playing. It's 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 an awesome keyboard. And then like they bring that same piece of music in at the end, but after watching just how simply laughable this movie is, when the music comes back in, it's like, it's it just doesn't fit. It's like the music is way too good for this movie. <laughs> like, the, like the movie, you know what I'm saying? Like the music is so serious and, and it's not really, I don't think, I don't know. It's, it's just, uh, it's not good. Because that's basically where it ends. Um, yeah, uh, so um, Angelique shoots the baby in the head. Oh yes, that's and, right. And yeah, she's seemed, like she's like talking to it like it's a dog. She's yeah, like, and, and she's like, "Come here, baby. Come on, you know." It, it's her that does it, right? And I, I, I'm not blanking on that, am I? Oh no, she she shoots the baby in the Everybody's head. Everybody's got guns. There's so many guns. Yeah, and then the devil comes in and and walks right past her and grabs the baby, 
in sorrow and just I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's like fine. that's you know, of all the characters in this movie for the the demon devil father of this baby <laughs> to have like the most human reaction to something yes. out of anybody in this movie. Like is that a commentary on something? I don't think so. I think it's just stupid. There's another scene where... Oh, by the way, how does uh, Dwayne end up dying at the hands of this thing? I don't even remember that. That's how unmemorable it was. It doesn't show it. It doesn't show? Okay. Nope. He just looks at it, and then the thing starts growling or something, and it just cuts. It, oh. I, I don't believe it shows it. Where was Greg um, Nicotero that day? I want to see Ron Perlman get ripped in half. Yeah, and then there's like the... Uh... <laughs> Ron Perlman ripped in half. <laughs> then there was the um, the scene where you know when her belly first starts getting really big and she's like we gotta kill it and she's literally like holding a scalpel up to herself oh yeah yeah and the the doctors are like you're gonna end up killing yourself dude that dialogue is also so horrible like the whole time they're just like don't do it and she's like i'm going to and they're like yeah but don't like it's just (laughs) it's so incredible again another potentially very good scene right like that's pretty disturbing like you're not gonna perform this abortion for me i'm gonna do it myself like in a better movie that's a really tense really horrifying moment i mean it's just like did nobody care it seems like it. I I actually I said that to Alex. I was like, man, it seems like Carpenter really was just like it's like he came in with all guns blazing on cigarette burns. You know what I mean? Like read the reviews on that. Everyone says like that's the best episode in season one. You know, like it, it was like him putting out something at the caliber you would expect. So everybody was so pumped, just like you said at the beginning of this episode to see this one. And uh, it's just such a gigantic misfire that it's 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 a head scratcher. I it mean, is, and, and like literally nothing in the John Carpenter filmography could set me up for how bad this is. Even the sort of critically maligned films, Ghost of Mars and uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, and stuff like that. Like I found some great things in all those movies. Like this is the one. I, I mean. I don't know about you, Chris. I'm going to just go ahead and say it. This is my least favorite John Carpenter film. The only thing that that might change that is that I've never seen The Ward, and we will be getting to that soon. But uh, I'm pretty confident in saying there is nothing that we have talked about or seen on this show to this point, including the TV movies, including the the sort of misfires that he's Mm -hmm. known for. Nothing comes even close to being this bad. Uh, I'll go a step further and say I have seen The Ward, and I agree with that statement. Okay. It is this is definitely my least favorite anything that he's been involved in like watching it for a second time last night just as a quote unquote refresh refresher was pretty painful. Like I did not enjoy watching any of it. And it's sad because uh it's sad to come this far, you know what I mean with like for me like a a pretty damn good report card as far as far as all of his work and then I mean, I get it. You know, it was it was a it was a TV episode, so who cares? But at the same time, this is uh, the the first title card we see on the screen is John Carpenter's pro life. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, he is in some way like 
I don't think John Carpenter comes off terribly, certainly not worse than the writers of this, but, you know, he's the director. Like, you are coaching the actors, you are hearing this dialogue being performed on set, and, you know, sometimes you got to step in and be like, no, no one would ever talk like that. I mean, John Carpenter is a really good director, and so I got to imagine, I, I don't know, maybe he was just, like, sitting there drinking his coffee, smoking a cigar or something, like, eh, whatever, do it, have the demon yep. baby. Yeah, I think he clearly didn't put bring his A game to this. I mean, it, he was like, I could just picture him, you know, rapping for the day and, you know, going up to Mick Garris and being like, all right, dude, where's my paycheck? You know, like, or know. Uh, Chris conspiracy theory here. You think he mm. might have tanked it on purpose? Like maybe him and Mick got into an argument like uh, between season one and season two. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll do Ooh. another episode for you. And then he just no, goes I, in. And well, just like if they did that, they must the have. I mean, if, if if that's true, they must have rekindled their relationship because uh, Mick Garris has a YouTube channel where he interviews. Uh, I can't think of what the name of it is right now, but he does interviews. I saw his one with Robert England and he did one with Wes Craven and uh, to Toby Hooper. And uh, John Carpenter did a, did an interview with him that was that took place, I'm pretty sure after this whole Masters of Horror thing. So, I'm I think they're cool. All right, I was just trying to come up with like it's just it's mind boggling how bad this is. And there, there has Carpenter's to be like yeah, they got something. an argument, so he's like I'm gonna deliver the biggest turd of my career on this show just to make yeah, you like look bad. May maybe he rewrote a really good script to just make it really shitty, and he's like, yeah, I'll put my name on this. Good luck, good luck getting a season three there, Mick. I don't know. Like, I feel like, you know, this is a show called Masters of Horror, and it is supposed to be little distilled hour-long um, visions from these directors that are highly respected and that we really like and that have done amazing stuff in the past. And this just does not feel like that. You know, I, I've seen so many first-time filmmakers make stuff that's so much better than this. Yep, it was, it was ac actually perplexing for me, so... But hey... <laughs> we we we've done it. I can't really think of anything else to contribute to this other than I, I I want to apologize to our audience if it seems like we were just bashing this the whole time. But watch it for yourself and see what you think. We could be wrong. Look, yeah, absolutely. And if you like this film, you know I I'm sorry for trashing it as much as I had, but. Like, that's just, you know, I, I'm a pretty honest guy, and that is my honest opinion. And I think you and I are pretty reasonable when it comes to critical approaches to movies. And there's definitely been things in the Carpenter filmography before that I've thought, you know, this could have been better or this aspect of it could have been done a lot better. But uh, I don't think I've ever come out quite as negatively as this. But, like, I, I just I also don't think I could defend it. I wanted to. I told you I it's, wanted it's, to. It's, it's a mess. It's a mess. Um, but like I said, it's not a zero. It's a five because it's got some interesting ideas and I think it's worth seeing. Like I would almost put this in the so bad it's good category. Like I almost feel like if you're yeah. one of those like bad movie junkies, if you're watching stuff like The Room or the Neil Breen films or something like that, this might actually be so bad it's good enough that uh, that it works on that level. Maybe. <laughs> crab legs. Chris, crab legs. Yeah, the crab legs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on. You got to appreciate the crab legs. It actually, I mean, at that point in this, you're supposed to be so grossed out by this whole thing and just feeling sick and feeling nauseous and terrified. And those crab legs come out and I'm like, 
hmm, haven't had crab legs in a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's that pro life. Yes. Yeah. And uh, for anyone interested at the time of the release of this episode, if you do want to check out the Masters of Horror, uh, both seasons one and two are weirdly on Tubi. So uh, you can stream away on there if you don't mind a few commercials. Yeah. Well, the commercials were a nice break because I did watch this on Tubi and I do usually like to watch something uninterrupted. But uh, but my head was just spinning in so many ways. And, you know, like I said, this set up so many things. And I'm like, oh, if this pays off well later on, then the kind of shaky stuff in the beginning, like, well, it could be OK. You know, it might justify it. But, uh, you know, so it was nice to, like, take a breather. And then I'm like, all right, the next 20 minutes of this are going to be really good. Right. And then they turned out to not be. But uh, I was kind of thankful for the commercials. I didn't want to live in this world for an hour straight. I actually agree with that 100%. <laughs> oh, boy. So, so we might have lost some fans tonight. I don't know. Maybe we gained some. Um, I, like, as always, uh, if you want to dish about this film, if you want to uh, disagree with us, please do. Um, you know, we welcome opinions. We welcome ideas. If you have a reading of this that is more charitable than ours, I'm really interested in hearing it. Um, you know, I, I, I respect your opinion. Yeah, and you if this is your if you're just tuning in, you can go back and listen to our catalog of 40 plus episodes. <laughs> Do you think you, anybody's you, just tuning in for the pro-life episode? I don't know, but I'll tell you what, it, it it's it's pretty clear that, you know, uh <laughs> who knows, Nick, this may end up being our uh, our most downloaded episode. Maybe. Yet. Well, maybe people will see the title and think it's like a political podcast and be like, "Oh, I I'm pro-life. I wonder what this movie podcast is hey, about." Hey, that's and... exactly it. It's all those internet <laughs> algorithms, dude. Like it'll just be fat found you know uh yeah. accidentally and then um anyway for, i don't know so in, in much m- much more exciting news uh we're going into october we have halloween kills coming out in just a couple of weeks now um and we are going to be since that is a sequel to the 2018 version we are going to be discussing Halloween 2018 for our next episode. Yes, a uh, much, much better movie than this one, and I am very excited to wash the taste of this out of my mouth with David Gordon Green's Halloween 2018. So that's going to be our next episode. And then, of course, the one after that, we're going to be talking about a new movie, um, which is going to be pretty exciting, Halloween Kills. It feels like we've been hyping that up for longer than I can remember, for longer than we've been doing the show. Well, last year for October, we did Halloween 2, 1981, and also Halloween 3, the season yes. of The Witch. Which I'll also be watching this year. Oh, yes. And um, yeah, so we figured this year we'd kind of shift into, uh, you know, from the, instead of doing some of the earlier Halloween pieces that Carpenter was involved in, we would do the latest ones. So I think that's going to work out very nicely in the chronological uh, order. Absolutely. So uh, as I was saying before, if you'd like to get a hold of us, we'd really love to hear from you. We always uh, are interested in interacting with our listeners. We are available via email at precinct13podcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at 13precinct, facebook.com slash 13precinct, and our website where you can download all of our episodes and find subscription links to the show is precinct13.simplecast.com. We would really, really appreciate a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. And um, we're moving into, like we said, uh, we're we're heading toward the end of the John Carpenter filmography, as it were. We do have plans, of course, to uh, to 
put things on hold eventually, but, uh, you know, whatever else happens in the John Carpenter universe, we can always come back and talk about those as well. But I'm looking forward to what we've got planned for October. It's going to be really fun. I haven't revisited Halloween uh, 2018 since I saw it in theaters, and I think I'm going to actually get out to a theater and see Halloween Kills. So much, much stuff to talk about there. We will be back in two weeks for uh, the start of our October extravaganza here on Precinct 13. Crab legs. <laughs>